the football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. I had a little extra pep there in the intro. Yeah. Because it's the Wednesday show. We get to just ramble about everything. Extra pep. Plus, you had your you know, your carrot sticks and stuff. You're all hepped up on yeah. health. Yeah. My, my scale's 15 to 20 pounds off. I think <laughs> I'm losing weight, though. Because I think the lower end of the 15 to 20 is lower now. So the diet might be working. I mean, when you get to your size, just the margin of error gets bigger, you know? Is that what like it is? The plus or minus. Yeah. You know, like everybody's body weight fluctuates, right? Like depending on the time of day, the what you've had, all that kind of crap, right? But for me, like the plus or minus is a couple of pounds, right? For you, you increase that by a magnitude. Yeah. So I'm I'm anywhere between 276 and 288 still, I think, <laughs> it's, it's, is the range at the moment. I, we're probably now within... 100 pounds of each other's weight. That's good. I'm definitely over 180 at this point. I'm, it's because I'm eating well. Like the turkey, so you, I had a turkey sandwich with carrot sticks. That's what I had. Wow. Good, good podcasting here. Mm. Anyway, we're going to, we got all sorts of, tell us what, what's coming up today because it's all, uh, it's all driven by you, our, uh, our viewers and listeners via email. All kinds of stuff. We've had a lot, a lot of bear related feedback. You know, if you listen to the show, Last one, the one before, whenever it was, we started talking about where would you draft a literal grizzly bear in the draft. Yeah. You wanted to take him, what, in the sixth round or something ridiculous? I think I said fourth. Fourth. Yeah. That's equally ridiculous. Early day three. I went upstairs and conferred with Trevor Sykema from the, uh, the Stock Exchange podcast. Number one overall. The correct answer. You're... T- Run-stopping nose tackle number one overall. This isn't Dan Wilkinson. I mean, look, the the point was that you take the bear and then you figure out what to do with him later. But the point, he's a number one overall player. Prospect. You see, that's that's what bad teams do. Bad teams are in their draft meetings and saying, we don't have a plan for this bear, but we're going to get him anyway. Yeah, yeah, but you don't need a plan for him. Like, the guy is so such an outlier. It's going to work. You just need to work out how. I didn't know you were a big planet theory guy. When it comes to a bear, absolutely. Look, the people are trying to apply the planet theory to Jordan Davis. That guy is, what, 6'6", 340, and runs a 4'7", The bear is 600 pounds and runs a 3'7", We're talking a different level of athlete here. I think you're missing the point, though, because if you can draft a bear, so can everyone else. No, Therefore, it's there's not one bear. One bear. What do you mean? There's only one bear in there's the world? There's one bear, and you have access to him. That's the stipulation of this That's this how the idea. Eagles found Jordan Mailata. They got like the one exactly. incredible rugby player. Anyway, one of the emails uh, giving us bear-related feedback. Oh, do we have a buzz happening again? Came from James. Uh, hey, he said same and Steve. I'm going to assume he means Sam and Steve. Uh, I think another potential position for the Bears to put them at fullback and just give the biggest holes imaginable for an undrafted free agent running back to average 10 yards per carry. Think about it. Not only would the Bear crush any defensive lineman uh, in their way, 
the second level defenders would have zero chance to be able to shed the tackle without with a full grown bear charging at them. I like that. Just Wait, pave the way. We're getting right into the bear discussion. Uh, I'm just saying we had one bit of feedback from the emails. Okay. Well, I had a lot of feedback from the bear. That was one of yeah. them. Throw him at fullback. We had to, we didn't talk about that. We didn't I discuss like, fullback. I like back that as a plan. Also a good plan. All of a sudden, fullbacks are valuable. That's true. Perfect. It's like that would justify William Floyd in the first round. Yeah. Some other guy, a guy called Frank Newman, suggested cutting horses at corner. Did you know there was a thing, cutting horses? No. One of those like rodeo sport deals. Apparently you get like a horse and his job is to like mirror a cow, like a lone calf. So these horses like bounce back and forth. It looked pretty impressive. I don't know if that makes him a good corner, but you can certainly, you can imagine the mirroring, you know, off the line of scrimmage deal. So a lot of feedback. By far, our most feedbacked topic was does, the animals playing football thing. Does the bear go number one overall? I'm going to choose not to explore what that says about the rest of our football analysis. If you're if you're on YouTube, let us know if you are hearing the buzz because it, we we we've done work to try to avoid it. Let's see if it's your dumbass electrical thing sitting right next to the microphone. I'm going to move the iPad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it, I mean, it's not like it's been buzzing. It's here every day. It's here every show. <laughs> Is it just my? <laughs> It's a giant laptop next to the thing, yeah. Oh, because it's an actual audio issue. I'm just saying it's it's awesome. your fault, whatever it is. We've we've we agreed upon that, at least. It's not it's not mine. Definitely. It's not my fault. <clears throat> All right. We got a great show though, because we got Stefan Diggs has been paid. Yeah. And I think there's a great discussion to be had about there. Stefan Diggs gets paid just like Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill have gotten paid, but this time it's Diggs' current team. Yeah. So I think there's a great discussion to be had about that. Uh, suggestions from our listeners to move the draft. Hmm. Multiple people, interestingly. And I wanted to get this in the title, but we didn't have enough time. Is Patrick Mahomes still elite? Because there was a question about Patrick Mahomes and his his hype and did it get out of control and, and, and all that stuff. And, yep. and, and we can answer that question yes. about Mahomes. Before we get into it, we need to one final push for the charity drives to get them to the finish line. Well, get one of them to the finish line. Um, I will get to the finish line. You think? Yeah. Because, frankly, I want to go and throw a baseball and see if I can hit over 60 miles an hour. And I can't do that until we raise enough money for me to for me to rep replicate a, a Jackson Mahomes TikTok dance, tragic as that is. So uh, our pinned tweets, at PFF underscore Sam, at PFF underscore Steve, are the GoFundMe charity drives. Mine is over 2000 We need $444 to get to our 2500 goal. Uh, we're raising money for Sunshine Kids. They do fun activities for kids that have cancer to help them feel, you know, like kids again for a while rather than having to deal with cancer 24-7. Um, and in addition to that, I'll have to look like an asshole doing a TikTok dance. So it's win-win for everybody except me. You want to you pitch yours? You're miserable. Yeah, and of course mine performance. is for the great men at Heritage House who are recovering from some level of addiction. So it's about the cause, more so. God knows, because it's not about the... Uh, more so than just watching me do combine drills. But I will do combine drills if we hit our goal of $2,500. We're a little bit shorter than you at the moment. But uh, Heritage House, a nice faith-based recovery program right here in Cincinnati. How much shorter? I I don't know. Well, we, I could, we could use a grand you could, to catch up. So you need like the you need the serious the the heavy roller. Are we the like eight hundred. The big. So? What the hell is the term? The high roller. We need we need heavy multiple. Hitter. We need a couple high rollers. You need we a whale. Need, coming we need in an here. angel donor here. Yeah. To uh to to jump in and get us get us over the finish line. But 
I love my cause because these are these are my friends now. These are my friends over here in you're, Cincinnati. You're almost at four figures. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So, so we get, you know, sixteen hundred bucks. You know, get us right over the top. That's all we need. Yeah. And we'll get there, and I'll do all the combine drills, all of them. Yeah. Wow. Do them all. Huh. So that's where we're at. At, at PFF underscore Steve, you can go get the link to my GoFundMe. Yes. So anyway, you compare me to any position, probably edge. People need to get us over yeah. these, get us over the finish line because as soon as that's done, we want to do the baseball part two, which is me pitching and seeing if I can hit 60 miles an hour, which I absolutely guaranteed will do. No. I mean, you're probably not going to, but I can't wait. I can't wait to see what, what happens there. All right. You ready to get into the show? Sure. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. It's westernsouthern.com slash PFF. I should have hit them up uh, this year and I mightn't have got so wrecked when I went to file my taxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah, I should talk to the Western and Southern people. Yeah, you should sign up at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. I'll hit it. I'll so that do you it. don't do get wrecked at tax time. Yeah, that was that was. Or in life in general. All right. <clears throat> Ready to, uh, what are we starting with here? Oh, Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Has been paid. Indeed. Uh, big time money. Do you have the terms? Because I've been lacking with the uh, terms. I noticed uh, Schefter tweeted it out first. Mm. Rappaport followed it up. And they had, they had slightly different numbers the way they presented them. It's almost like... Uh, I think Rap Sheet was like a little bitter. He didn't get the uh, didn't get the scoop. So he gave the accurate numbers rather, yes. than, rather than the best. Because Schefter's like ones. four years up to 120 million dollars. Stephon Diggs going to retire as a bill, and Rappaport's like it's four years, maybe like 90. So the initial tweet from Rappaport was four year, 96 million dollar extension that can be worth more in incentives. The worth more in incentives part being the bit that Schefter tweeted out. Um, more details, Stefan Diggs gets a $21.5 million signing bonus and $70 million in total guarantees. The 2022 cap number this year goes down, obviously. I mean, maybe not obviously, but it did. Well, that's generally how it goes. It gives you immediate relief, and then you, you push it down the road right. just a little bit and you know helps you, helps you plan your team building. Essentially giving him $24 million a year in new money average. Um, first off, does this surprise you? This was... Is this surprising at all? No. I mean, he was the guy that was being talked about as, you know, next up, right? Yep. The next elite receiver due to get an extension or a new payday. Um, and I think inevitably when you have a guy that's that new in terms of trade, like they traded for him, they traded a first round pick to acquire him. It's always harder for a team to be like, nope, we're not paying you. You've already, the sunk cost fallacy in the NFL is strong. Um, but also... In this particular case, I'm not sure it's a fallacy. Like the, he's a really important part of that offense. He's playing as well as any receiver in the NFL. He they they don't want to dismantle what they have around Josh Allen, and they can afford to do it. So go for it. So this is <clears throat> the interesting thing to me is that three teams with uh, elite quarterbacks or top end quarterbacks, and that answers the Mahomes question, by the way. Um, Shock. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and now Josh Allen and the Bills all have elite receivers and I think you could Stefan Diggs is outstanding you could make the argument that he's a tick below Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams right 
the Packers allowed Devontae Adams, or they traded Devontae Adams. The Chiefs traded Tyree Kill. The Bills said, no way. We're locking up Stephon Diggs. I think that just as a strategy around your quarterback, obviously we've there are there are different thoughts here. The Packers felt like they were at a point where they're not going to completely reset the, the wide receiver market. Let's trade Devontae while he's got incredible value and get multiple draft picks. Chiefs essentially decided the same thing. Five draft picks for Tyree Kill while he has immense value. And the Bills said, no way. I mean, we're and they and they did this ahead of time, right? They didn't have to make this extension just yet, which is probably a good thing. You get like a bit of a discount generally when you do that, right? But I think the Bills are saying we've never we've never seen Josh Allen have a successful season without Stephon Diggs. Not that he can't, not that he whatever. This is the same thing I say about Mahomes. Not that he can't, but where you have to do everything possible to keep the best supporting cast around Josh Allen. And the Bills made that move while two other teams decided our best move is to deploy these resources and build a a, a more well-rounded team, we'll say. Yeah. And I the, just think that's an interesting contrast in strategy. And it, the two that are really comparable are the Josh Allen and Mahomes ones. Like the the Rodgers thing is its own dynamic because Rodgers is at the tail end of his career as opposed to, you know, young elite quarterbacks who just got their monster contracts. Um, so those are the two that are that are really fascinating to compare because you've got the Bills doing everything humanly possible to maintain what they have around Josh Allen. And then you have Kansas City who went, no, we've despite the fact that Mahomes has never had a non-fantastic situation essentially around him in terms of supporting cast, um, we're going to trade away Tyreek Hill, the most important wide receiver we have, and see what happens, right? Because, you know, we don't want to pay him $30 million a year or we're so tight against the cap or whatever the reasons. They elected to make that move. Buffalo said, no, let's pay Stephon Diggs his money. And do the Bills also have this flexibility because, I mean, they're – They've done a pretty good – they've done a nice job getting their offensive line back to right in the middle of the pack, which is where they're paying them, right in the middle of the pack, essentially, right? right? So they, I, I'm not going to rehash the Chiefs thing and, good. The, and their investment, I, but I the Bills – kill you. The Bills – look, I want to give the Bills a ton of credit because let's turn back the clock just a little bit here. 2018, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen were all drafted. If people remember, those were three of the worst offenses in the entire NFL. That was Rosen and the Cardinals, Darnold and the Jets, Allen and the Bills. That was 2018. Two years later, Josh uh, Josh Rosen doesn't even have a job, a starting job. Sam Darnold, we're still sitting here saying, uh, when are the Jets going to do well by Sam Darnold? He hasn't played well. He hasn't played well yet, but the, the, the Jets just haven't given Darnold an offensive line or a group of receivers. And that And by that exact time, the Bills had revamped their offensive line, which was one of the league's worst. They had traded for Stephon Diggs. They had signed Cole Beasley and John Brown, who started to like really uh, trigger that turnaround from Josh Allen. Now they've they've added Gabriel Davis to the mix, which may be an absolute steal the more we watch him play as a fourth rounder. The Bills have done an incredible job yeah. of building that nucleus around Josh Allen. Now they're going to lock up Stephon Diggs. We have that wide receiver one. We have a cheap option in Gabriel Davis as he develops. We've got the offensive line. Uh, not breaking the bank, but they're good enough. And I just, I love where the Bills are at from a team building standpoint. They did a great job. The, Josh Allen arrived and it was not a good situation. And they turned that into a good situation around Josh Allen pretty damn quickly. Um, and it does track very neatly 
with Josh Allen's development. Like he went from bad year one to elite in year three, which pretty much tallies with the situation around him, which was bad year one and elite year three. Um, so I think the Bills are smart to lock to lock up one of the most important parts of that offense. So we had an email that came in as well um, from a guy called Adam, which pretty much hits on the same kind of topic. So first off, huge fan of the show. Thanks for keeping me informed and entertained as a football fan. Uh, the Chiefs and the Packers, two of the winningest franchises in the past five plus years, decided to trade their aging superstar receivers to two, let's be honest, somewhat poorly run teams. My question is, why did everyone assume that the Chiefs and Packers made a mistake? What if they're simply ahead of the, the game and following the Vikings' Justin Jefferson blueprint? Uh, with college suddenly a receiver factory, the savvy move might be to unload your star wide receiver for draft picks instead of paying him an absurd $30 million a year. The position is one of the most valuable in the NFL, but unlike left tackle or cornerback, there is a surplus of high-end receiver talent. So I think that kind of fleshes out what we're talking about here, which is, you know, were the Packers and the Chiefs actually in the right to trade away their guy and have the Bills therefore made the wrong move by keeping hold of them? I'll say this. I don't think they were wrong for doing it. Like, I, I think, especially the Chiefs, I mean, both teams, I think they're going to get really good value for the players that they that they sent away. And... Sometimes I do try to take this really high-level view, Sam. I say that a lot, right? Take this high-level view. And when you're sitting on a player like a Devontae Adams or a Tyree Kill, there are two things you can do. You can keep him on your team and play him, or you can use that value elsewhere. They chose to use that value elsewhere. And when you bring in multiple, you know, an extra first-round pick and day-two picks like the Packers did, and you bring in five full you know, total draft picks like the Chiefs, you can easily make that balance sheet work, right? You can, the balance sheet will probably at least be even and it'll probably be like in the Tyree Kill trade in particular, it'll, it'll be in the Chiefs' favor, I would say, over time. But I think you're, there's obviously risk involved because every draft pick involves risk. So that's five risky things. We don't know who the player is. There's risk with keeping Tyree Kill because he's one player. If he gets hurt, whatever, and keeping Devontae Adams. I think overall they'll make it work, though. I mean, it's not like it's not a disaster for either team, but there's there's definitely a part of me that says, if we only have Aaron Rodgers for another year or two, I don't want to take the chance of not having him yeah. have that top guy. And I think I could do other things around him plus have Devontae Adams. And if I'm the Chiefs, I don't want to see Patrick Mahomes without Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Like, yeah, can we make the balance sheet kind of work, right? Like I just said, the juju and Valdez scaling and all that stuff. But it's really tough to replicate, a, you know, a 10-yard crosser turned into a 63-yard touchdown that Tyree Kill brings to the table. So I don't want to see that world. You know, so I think it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's riskier, but I think over time, both the Packers and Chiefs can make it work. I think that they were both the wrong moves for different reasons. So... Green Bay, first up. Green Bay, it's the wrong move because you have a very, you have a defined window with in which you can win with Aaron Rodgers because he's, what, 38 years old. Yeah. And unless he plans on doing a Tom Brady and playing until he's 45 or whatever, and even if he does, the problem with that is you can never tell when it's happening, right? Everybody says they want to play to 45, but at some point when you hit 39, 40, 
the body just stops functioning and you fall off a cliff in terms of play style. So you can't even, even if he's turned up <clears throat> and was saying behind the scenes, hey, guys, I'm going to play it on 45 and we're good. Like that's our window. We've got a seven year window here. Don't worry about it. Even if he was saying that, you can't like, you can't rely on that and plan it out because what if he, what if that's the plan, but two years time, you know, his body just completely collapses and we see a Peyton Manning type of decline. <clears throat> so if you're Green Bay, you're like, we have two, three years of this max. Um, and right now we have a team good enough to get to a championship game generally in most years. And Devonte Adams is a superstar. And even with Devonte Adams, we're still not quite there. So you take, a, you take that guy and ship him off, which might be the long-term net win, but short-term, you're massively worse. It's almost impossible to replace the impact that Devontae Adams has brought for the next two years. The last two seasons, Devontae Adams has been the most valuable wide receiver in the NFL by PFF war by a distance. He's bringing about 0.7 war per season. Um, there's almost no way you're replacing that, all, regardless of what you spend the picks on. It's just not going to happen. Secondly, you have to replace him with the wide receiver. So you have to do what the Vikings did with the Justin Jefferson thing. And the problem with relying on that is I think your chances of achieving that are just tiny. Yeah, to Vi answer that part of the question, I would not replicate what the Vikings did and just hope that you right. find the next Justin Jefferson. So if you look at like the last two years, Stephon Diggs is averaging 0.53 war. Justin Jefferson is averaging 0.57. So you've like, you literally managed with whatever it was, the 22, 23 so I'm a pick in the 20s. You replaced one of the best wide receivers in the NFL with a guy who's been slightly better. The chances of you achieving that are almost nothing. Yeah, that's just, incredible business. Right. If, you, if it hits. I'm sitting here, what? How far are we from that trash can? Oh, 20 feet. Right. I'm sitting feet. here 20 feet with a piece of plastic and almost like that's, it's hitting that. You came close. I did. But, but ultimately, it was Jalen Rager instead exactly, of Justin Jefferson. Right. You missed. Didn't nail it. <laughs> that, that's what that is. It's hitting an absolutely ridiculous shot when you had one chance of achieving it. So I don't think you can rely on that. And if you're Green Bay and you take that swing, like we've been mocking them wide receivers every single mock draft, right? If they take a swing on, um, you know, Sky Moore or Traylon Burks or whoever it is, and that guy isn't Justin Jefferson, they're in trouble. They're not, they're, not only are they not where they were, they've taken a huge step backwards. So for Green Bay, I think it's a bad move. For Kansas City, I think it's a bad move for similar reasons in terms of I just don't think you can replace what Tyreek Hill brought to the table and given you could make it happen. You could have gotten that done. I just don't think you trade away players that are that special. Yeah, uh, here's the thing I, I'll add to it, right? I think the Chiefs and the Packers are both coming from a place where if they self-evaluate over the last couple of years, they feel top-heavy, right? I mean, we've, how much yeah. have we talked about that? That the Packers, especially in 2020, had two, three elite players. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Jair Alexander. The rest of their roster was like average or slightly above average at best. So they were just carried by those few players. Now, last year, the Packers did a better job. They were a little bit more well-rounded, but the receiving core has not been. It has been top-heavy. The Chiefs, since they got shut down in the Super Bowl by the Bucs, everybody's saying, why, you know, option three, option three, whether it's a receiver, a tight end, whoever. Someone else has to catch the ball besides Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. Or somebody at least has to get open when those guys are taken away. So the Chiefs felt top-heavy. And we also sit here on this show over and over and over again and say, get to four receivers. At least get to three receivers who are legitimate and good 
and put the defense in a bind. Get there as fast as you can and actually don't stop building that receiving core because that's how you win in today's NFL with how often you're going to pass, how important the passing game is, get multiple receivers. The Stephon Diggs has been a part of that type of group with the Bills. They've had a good slot receiver in Cole Beasley. Even though he's gone now, he gets replaced by Jamison Crowder. Gabriel Davis, as we mentioned on the outside, they've had Emmanuel Sanders. They've had legitimate weapons and had a much more well-rounded wide receiver group in Buffalo. So the Chiefs and the Packers probably looked at their situation and said, well, we don't want to, we also don't want to be this top heavy. We want to uh, spread it out a little bit more at, at, just at that particular position as far as pass catchers go. The problem is the <clears throat> Packers have nobody right now unless yeah. you believe in Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard. And the Chiefs have... Valdez Cantling and Juju Smith-Schuster, and they still have Kelsey, and they'll you know add draft picks to both of those mixes, and maybe it works out over time, but it, it does seem like that's the strategy is to to spread it out, and and I do think there is a surplus of receivers around the NFL. I do agree with that, but I also using the WAR numbers that you said, I don't think WAR might not even capture the force multiplier that a wide receiver one is. And certainly Julio in his prime, Devontae and Tyreek Hill. It's certainly Tyreek Hill. I don't think it's capturing the impact that he has in terms of manipulating defenses every single play, yep. right? Like him out there means teams are playing those two high shells and trying to take away the deep threat every single play. I, that's not being captured there. But the, the war thing, so the Justin, the Stephon Diggs to Justin Jefferson thing is one comp. And then the other like elite wide receiver to come into the NFL over the last couple of years has been Jamar Chase, right? And so A.J. Brown. Yeah, but you either essentially need to hit on a Justin Jefferson randomly, right, and turn your first-round pick into a guy who's just as good as the guy you're trading away, or you need, like, the top-five pick in a year that has a top-five talent in Jamar Chase to achieve that, neither of which applies to Kansas City or Green Bay, who both have picks stuffed in the 20s, right? So you're looking at this, and you're like, well— even if we if we thought Drake London was the guy, if we thought Drake London is the next Jamar Chase, you can't get him. You're not in a position to replace him with Drake London. You have to hope that like Chris Olave or Traylon Burks or one of those guys is going to be this year's Justin Jefferson, which isn't just to say the best wide receiver in the class, but the best wide receiver in the class that most people think is like wide receiver four or five. That's why it's just un unrealistic yeah. to expect that you're going to make that sideways step. So... Green Bay, I think it's an outright mistake. Kansas City, I can at least paint a picture whereby, you know, in the long run, we're better off diversifying the risk in the portfolio rather than throwing all of the cash yeah. at the one dude. But I still think given what he brings to the table and how special he is, it's a mistake. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, I th it, it's risky for the Chiefs and the Packers. We'll see what happens over time. You're a little bit more definitive that it's a mistake. Um but at the same time, I feel good about what the Bills did, right? If the if the Chiefs gave Tyreek Hill the money, or if the Packers gave Devontae Adams the money, I'd say great. Now I know what I'm working with. I, I got to be really good in other parts of my roster. I have to I have to draft well because. But I I think there are strategies to mitigate overpaying the the receiver that is that is a home run hitter. There are strategies by you know uh, bulk drafting and all that stuff. There are ways to do that and um yeah the chiefs and packers chose the other way let me ask you a question now that is kind of tangentially connected to this um if you're a team that needs to fill that has put themselves in a position where they need to fill a specific role in the draft and in particular wide receiver corner positions where you already carry a ton of these guys in the roster 
should teams embrace the strategy more of double dipping at that position? Like doubling, like Green Bay. Green Bay are now in a position where they need to somehow replace Devonta Adams in this draft because there's nobody out in free agency. You're not going to like, there's nothing they can do right now other than the draft, essentially, to come close to replacing the impact that Devonta Adams individually had on that wide receiver core. It's not even like there's a couple of guys out in free agency and a draft and you can patch it together in between the whole group. You'll be somewhere near. No, like you need to, you need to find a miracle in this draft. And you've got two picks in the 20s. Should they spend both of them on wide receiver on the basis that the strike rate still isn't good enough for you to be like, hey, we're getting the next Justin Jefferson here. Take two of them and hope that one of them becomes better than you thought he was going to be. Yeah, I'm a, fa- I'm a fan of the double dipping strategy at high value positions. So receiver, corner. Uh, again, I think this is where when people look at how well teams have drafted, or even when you hear GMs talk about it, former GMs talk about, well, my hit rate and I hit on this player and I hit on that player. Uh, stealing Eric's line again, they're uneven bets. The payoff is is not the same when you hit on a running back and a guard and a receiver. I think if you're if you need a receiver that badly, and I think the the Chiefs and the Packers do, like you need to hit on another receiver. I don't think the Chiefs have the firepower with just Valdez Scantling, Juju, and Kelsey right now. I just don't think they do. They have to hit on someone else, not just for this year, but for the future as well. I think double dipping at high value positions makes a ton of sense because the goal is to find players that are going to move the needle. And at high value positions, you do that. You're not going to double dip at guard, right? You're going to double dip at position. In the way you describe positions, right? You need volume anyway. Best case scenario is you find two contributors at the same position where they can still contribute, right? You have a slot, you have an outside receiver. You just, they, have, they might have different skill sets. One's a good route runner, one's big, one's fast, one's agile, whatever. Same thing with corner. They could you double dip at corner to find an outside guy, a slot, two outside guys, whatever it is. I'm a big fan of that strategy. And uh, obviously, you you have to make other concessions at other parts of your roster. But if I'm the Chiefs or I'm the Packers, I have to have a good pass game, or else I'm I'm not doing well by my right. quarterback. And even like the strike rate for wide receiver recently has been really good. But even with that, it's not like it. It's not good enough that you can guarantee that high uh, premium position is going to pan out. And if you put yourself in that position where it needs to, that I think is when you need to start thinking about double dipping. So you go go back to 2020, um, you know, that was a really, really good receiver group. You've got CeeDee Lamb, superstar. You've got Justin Jefferson, superstar. Brandon Ayuk has been really good. Jerry Judy looks good. Um, Henry Ruggs obviously is his own issue. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman. Um, this is a really good group to chase Claypool. But for every one of those guys, you know, you've also got the Jalen Ragers. You've also, not to single out Jalen Rager, but you know, you've got Jalen Rager. LaVisca Chenault hasn't really done much yet. The, my point being, the strike rate is still very good. But if you're the guy that spends the first round pick on Jalen Rager, you're screwed. Like if you're Green Bay or Kansas City and you're like, this is our first round wide receiver. Him along with Alan Lazard and, you know, this group, that'll fix it. And that guy busts, you're, you're done. I would attack. So the fact that there is a wide receiver surplus, I would attack that differently. I would attack it the way the Patriots did, though. I mean, they're going to pay Devontae Adams just over $6 million per year over the next two years. That is... Devontae Parker. Devontae... Uh, 
Devontae Parker. Because that would be a good deal. That would be a really good part. Well, and only if he was playing for you. Different Devontae, different spelling. Sorry. Different Devontae Parker. We just did a PFF daily on them, on him. That is a great deal. And that's only available because the Dolphins just drafted Jalen Waddle. Because of, because of Jalen Waddle, incoming receiver. Because they invested in the wide receiver one in Tyreek Hill. And by the way, they also just paid Cedric Wilson in, in free agency. So there's a surplus. Our friend Seth Payne, uh, former 99 Jaguar, so love Seth. But, you know, we, he's, uh, he's in Houston, does Houston radio. As I'm, I have my timeline up and he's talking about Brandon Cooks. The dude who just gets traded all Every the time, <laughs> right? I mean, to to mitigate that risk, do you take one of those extra draft picks that you got for Kansas City, second rounder at this point for Cooks? He's been traded for first rounders all the time, but a second rounder for Brandon Cooks, I think that's a that's a steal. So I I would look around the NFL and look at teams. I, I know DK Metcalf has been rumored as a you know trade candidate and all that stuff, but then you have to pay him. I would look at the surplus not as well, I'm going to take all the draftable prospects, take the teams that are drafting new guys and have veterans that are more established and, and go find them. Yeah, I mean, certainly in, in certain circumstances, the problem with the like a Brandon Cooks deal is that yeah, he's on a pretty healthy contract himself. And no, if I you're get like, it. I I, if you're like, we don't want to pay Devontae Adams because that's costing us $30 million a year, like, if you trade for a Brandon Cooks, you're paying half of that immediately for a guy who isn't as good. And then you still have to do the draft stuff. I would just be like, look, if you're Green Bay and you draft twice in the first round, you might have to spend them both on wide receivers in order to move sideways. And okay, the chances that even even then, the chances that the guy that pans out is as good as Devontae Adams are minimal. But at least then you make up for it with the cost. Yes, he's not as good as Devontae Adams. On the other hand, he's getting paid a fraction of what Devontae Adams is. So it's better, right? You might just have to eat the fact that your chances of like hitting a home run from one pitch with Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson is so small that you almost can't take that chance. Would, would you do the double dip thing overall then? I mean, it's, it's like, um, it's kind of like the Carolina thing, right? It's like, I, ideally, I would not put myself in this situation in the first place. But if you reach this point and now you're, this is your scenario, right? You are going into the draft. You have made almost no moves a wide receiver. You traded away an elite wide receiver who in, in himself wasn't good enough for you to be, your, for your passing game not to falter when teams took him away. And you need to replace that. And you have two first-round picks. I think I might spend them both on wide receiver. But <laughs> I, would, I, I wouldn't just – I would never put myself in that position if I could avoid it. Yeah, and I think one of the ways – so one of the ways to do that, right, the way the Bengals built their offensive line, the way the Chargers built their offensive line, they they went to free agency. We talk a lot about offensive linemen, and this was actually a good email that we got too. That maybe we were contradicting ourselves here. Offensive linemen, we we they're they're safer as they're older. They're a little bit riskier on their first contract. They might take too long to develop. If you can get Ted Karras as a starter, Matt Filer as a starter, you get these starting caliber offensive linemen in free agency. So at that particular position, you don't have to double dip. But I think more importantly, how do you balance, do you look at positions and say, here are positions we'd rather draft. Here are positions we'd rather have established NFL players. I mean, it's kind of like we talk about Belichick all the time. He's had far more success, not perfect, but far more success getting veteran NFL receivers. So he doesn't have to worry about the receiver in the draft as much. If you can handle 
those positions in free agency, maybe receivers, one of them, then you don't put that pressure on you to kind of like to, to hit on draft picks. So I love the way the Bengals hit their particular needs because they did in free agency. And the Chargers did the same thing. They had to hit on one draft pick instead of three on the offensive line. So the Chiefs and the, my point is the Chiefs and the Packers should probably do both, right? You'd love to take a swing in the draft because you don't know exactly what you're getting, but adding a Brandon Cook's caliber receiver, I know the price might be tough, adding that type of person to the receiving core, I think is one way to just, you know, be a little bit safer as far as uh, production goes. Yeah. Do you want to jump to that offensive line question? Because that was a good one. Yeah. Did you add that? Did you add that to the mix here? Yep. Yeah. Good. Go uh, this is one of the most, um, what's the word? One of the most educated sounding emails we've received for a while in that it used terms like to wit. Uh, yeah. And also the fact that he's clearly listened to us enough. So Right. And the word elucidate. So just bear that in mind when we're reading this out. Gentlemen. Also opening gentlemen. Gentlemen. I wanted to raise a question regarding what seems like a pretty clear contradiction regarding your offensive line takes. To wit, offensive line does not, one, offensive line does not require that you be exceptional, merely adequate or average, i.e. creep back to what average, don't have any glaring weaknesses. Number two, your offensive line grades are among the most stable, translating from college to pro. Number three, offensive linemen often take a few years to develop. That would lead me to believe that young offensive linemen who, number one, have performed at roughly league average level. Number two, graded well in college. And number three, have only played for one or two years in the NFL, are adequate or better starters that don't need to be replaced. However, Brady Christensen, graded 70 plus in three out of six games, started a left tackle, 60 plus in another, uh, and never lower than mid-50s in the other two. And Matt Pert, and possibly others, but these two jumped to mind first, fit all three criteria. And yet in every mock article and podcast we've done, uh, they're apparently in desperate need of replacement. I realize you don't uh, want to simply assume slash count on continued improvement and important positions, but at the same time, isn't that why we draft them? Perhaps you can elucidate. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. Brock Leggins. Do you want to elucidate? <laughs> well, so my first point with those two in, in particular, and I, I recognize the fact that this is not, the question is not simply regarding these two. However, they were used as examples. Um, like sample size for Christians, I think is a big thing. We yeah. haven't seen him play that much to be confident that if we had a year and a half or whatever is worth of evidence of him starting full time and it was at the average level, that would be a different conversation. But we don't. We have much less than that of him playing more or less around league average uh, play. And I'm not 100% sure that's enough to be able to count on and say, yeah, that is legit. Now, Parrot is possibly a more fair argument to say he has been solid when he's played. And I don't, I don't know if the, the Giants do necessarily need to make that specific upgrade. Maybe just maybe that's a – we know the Giants need to overhaul their offensive line. Uh, we also know that they pick high in the draft where there are an abundance of good offensive tackles and there are not an abundance of elite interior offensive linemen. So maybe we are projecting their need for an offensive line generally and saying, well, look, there isn't a guard worthy of taking in the top 10. There is likely an elite tackle available in the top 10. So better that than nothing. You know what I mean? And that's the projection we're making there. And when we give them like say a Guanu or whatever, you could still let Matt Parrott try to win the right tackle job and maybe a Guanu becomes a guard. And that's not ideal for your top 10 player, but I would answer it this way. It's, it's really an astute question. 
I would say trying to re reply in kind. I'm just trying to elucidate here. Okay. Uh, Brady Christensen coming out of BYU, Matt Parrott coming out of UConn. While you can trust their grades, there's still the competition thing, right? So it was against worse competition. The other part of it is I think where this has worked out, the Austin Corbett's of the world. Uh, my three favorite examples, Austin Corbett, Rams guard, now a Panther. Um, Wyatt Teller, Browns guard, formerly a Bill, and Connor Williams, Cowboys guard. All three of those guys were parts of offensive lines that already had three or four starters intact, right? So when you have a really good Browns offensive line, and then you take this data that I'm throwing out there all the time, year three linemen break out and all that stuff, that mitigates the risk because not every lineman is going to break out. Cam Robinson hasn't done it, right? Cam Robinson has never broken out by our grading st right. system. Donovan Smith has, right? Guys have, guys haven't. Even Donovan Smith was part of this. Uh, the rest of the Bucks' offensive line was really good. So I think the, the Giants and the Panthers are just working from such a deficit that they need to get any offensive line talent in there. So in those particular instances, I think that's the answer, is that both teams just need offensive line talent. You also have, like, I don't know if the Panthers actually trust Brady Christensen at left tackle because he's got short arms and they're like, hey, he's a guard. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think it's worth clarifying exactly where, like, even if we assume that this was Christensen, so he played, what, 400 and something snaps. If we assume that this was his baseline, this was where he was, if we scale that up to 1,000 snaps a full season, his grade was like 61, 62. That's still a reasonable level below that level of sort of average. Like James Hurst, who you were writing off recently as a potential starting tackle for the Saints. Hurst was a 70, essentially. Yeah, no, so we're was, talking almost 10 grading points higher for a guy who you still might not be sold on as a, a starter. Um, you know, Dwayne Brown in his decline was at 71.5. Christian Darasaw, who we were encouraged by, was at 71.9. Like, we're talking like a 10-point grading jump from where he was to like the guys that I think are fairly league average. Like those guys that I just mentioned, um, Darisol was the 37th best graded tackle in the NFL. Dwayne Brown, 39. Uh, who did I talk? James Hurst, 45. So those guys I think are legitimately league average. Right? Yeah. 64 offensive tackles by and large, 32 should be league average. Um so a guy down, you know, Brady Christensen was 67. Okay, there's more than, you know, more than 64 tackles to get playing time in this list, et cetera, et cetera. But we're immediately moving, I think, substantially below league average when we're talking about a guy like Brady Christensen, even if we assume that that small sample size was a fair reflection of what he is. And the other part of like offensive line team building here too, I would say the best, the safest option is having an NFL player that you know is already good. The second best option is having a rookie that has already been pretty good that will continue to be good. And the third best option is probably a first contract player that could be good, right? So even just describing Christensen and Parrott, they're probably your third best option compared to what, they, what the starters could look like. Yeah. Let me give you a perhaps better example that I think illustrates how the, the difference in grading is significant. So Samuel Cosme for Washington Commanders. Uh, Cosme was what, a second round pick? Yeah. Uh, Cosme ended up last season with a grade of 74.9, which puts him at joint 31st in terms of PFF grading. Starter. Right. So we're immediately talking about a more than 10-point grading jump over those two, much more close to the sort of league average, quote-unquote, level for tackles. And I don't think we've brought up his name this offseason 
and haven't specifically haven't brought up any notion of Washington going and getting a like having a glaring need at starting right tackle because right. it's going to be Cosme and yep. he's he's earned he's graded well enough that even in a comparatively small sample size 500 snaps you're comfortable enough that he gets a shot at it so I think that that difference in grading is important like as much as generally speaking a grade of 60 ish is supposed to be average or, or or more or less it isn't right now in terms of offensive tackle play and if you if those two guys Parrott and Christensen had grades closer to 70 than 60 I think it would be a different conversation yeah I and I think the way I describe those players I, I just if if you can get them cheap right if you can get a cheap Wyatt Teller or if you can store Matt Parrott on your roster for a couple of years at some point he might break out and then but you'll see it right you'll kind of like see it at practice you'll see it behind the scenes and you'll know if that's the guy I would just but there's always there's risk involved so I just wouldn't say he's the guy but I would like to have those players on my team either through you know acquisition or just by drafting them in the third round or whatever it is and and seeing if they develop because the payoff could be could be really really I mean the other thing is there's no harm in there's not necessarily just because some of these teams need a specific position like you know Panthers left tackle Brady Christensen etc it doesn't necessarily mean you need to spend number six on it now Carolina is in a tough spot because they don't have many picks after that right yeah but random generic team that has a need because they have a Brady Christensen-esque player penciled in to start right now, they could add another Brady Christensen-esque player in the third round and, you know, have two of them that have a shot of becoming better than they are right now, which is a borderline passable starter. It doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, they have this need, like, because you need to add a player at that spot doesn't mean it necessarily needs to be like a top 10 pick. Either way, both the Panthers and the Giants need quality pickups on the offensive line. Yeah. But the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming, Sam. With Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com. Use the exclusive promo code PFF. Do that at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced and in the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your defense. Look, fellas, don't fall off our draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff, and you get the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer as your best solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April's draft season, that's what we're talking about. But it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer men's health, and early detection. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. That's the only time I'd advocate a seventh-round player becoming a first-round pick. Only with Manscaped. You don't want to take seventh-rounders in the first round. Turn Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick. But Manscaped will allow you to do that. It's development, baby. What else you got here? <laughs> uh, so, multiple people this this uh, week, curiously, asked a question about moving the draft and free agency, essentially flipping the order. So right I now- saw one. We had multiple questions? Multiple, multiple questions. Uh, right now, the NFL offseason calendar, you know, regular season, postseason, Super Bowl, 
free agency, then the draft. So the first guy, Alexandre Dupont, says in hockey, the draft is before free agency. It doesn't change much since prospects in hockey are drafted at 18 and they're most likely down the road. But do you think if the NFL would do the same, teams would less draft for need and take more often the best player available, knowing that they have free agency coming next to fill those starting uh, spots? Don Crehan. I think is how that's pronounced also asked the same question yeah so hockey is not a good proxy baseball is not a good proxy because neither guy neither players go straight to the league yeah i mean we don't necessarily need well but the point part of the but it, nba does this right draft is in june free agency uh is in july okay if you say I so <laughs> i have no idea i'm just saying that i'm trying to the nba is the only other potential proxy for this because you draft players straight to your team right? right they go straight to your team there's no i mean there's no real minor league so football, if they did this, draft first, free agency second. I'm just trying to picture it. It feels more sensible in my mind because you go in, you do the draft, which is for some teams, you know, bringing in these players that are going to be amazing starters. For some teams, it's not. And then once that's done, you can actually get a better idea of where you lie and what positions you need to then fill. Whereas now, you're almost, you're sort of adding the players that are, that fit around the puzzle blind. And then you go into the draft with this like, oh crap, this guy fell to us. But we, are, you know what I mean? It's just, it seems like a bad way of doing it. Like you may have gone in there and free agency signed these like three guys to fit two, is two issues. And then the draft falls in a weird way. And like, a, you know, a, an unexpected phenomenal player at that position drops into your lap. You're like, well, do you, do you take him because it's value and it's, you should? He's the best player available. Or do you like, no, we already invested too heavily in this position because a month ago we had no idea this was going to happen and you're just stuck with it. Why would you, if you flip it, now if the draft falls in a ridiculous way, you take that player anyway because he's the best player and then you can make the free agent plan off the bank of that and it makes sense. Yeah, so I think from a team standpoint, it might make sense. From a player standpoint, they never allow this. They would never allow this because all the money is going to be flowing first, right? You want teams to sign as many players from your association, from the NFLPA as possible. You do that during free agency and then the draft comes later. If you start filling all your, if you just get a bunch of good players in the draft, all of a sudden it's like, you're going to have a lot of free agents not signing after so, the fact, but, I think. So that's the question. Who does it impact? Because it's not going to, it's not going to stop the money going to the big name free agents, right? Because those guys are going to be valuable additions to a team, whatever happens. Now, it might, it might adjust the marketplace for those guys. So, you know, random wide receiver has 10 teams in the market for him in free agency. Maybe that's down to like two or three if teams have had the draft already. So it might impact the top spending. I think every move that the NFL has made from a collective bargaining standpoint over the last few years, I'd have to review this statement, but... I think most moves have negatively affected the middle class NFL veteran over time. Because remember, a lot of their moves were like, remember Matthew Stafford comes into the league and he's right. like the third highest paid quarterback or whatever it was. So you kill the rookie deals. Yeah. And so now having rookies is, is good. That's beneficial to the team. Well, if you're going to have more first contract players, second contract players, third contract players, they're pushed out, right? So I think... The veteran players have been screwed in all of this. If you flip to the draft, the same thing would be true, right? You'd have 
um, or it would just happen in reverse because we see this a lot of times too, right? You, teams go into the draft and like they draft a player that's going to replace their veteran and the veteran eventually gets released. But I think you'd have this as the draft happens, you get your players and then the middle class free agents just don't get signed, right? Maybe maybe they do, They but only it's like the Matt Filers of the world just go to fill the left guard spot right. and you just fill this one starting spot. But the middle class rotational free agents probably don't yeah. get signed. So essentially all of those players... Happens. Well, the, but the the two so all of those players, the Matt Filers of the world, the, the Ted Karras, the Alex Kappas, those guys that right now are signing early in free agency, as of now, to fit these sort of positions before you hit the draft. Yep, those guys probably all end up late in the process. But the question is whether the money goes down or not, because there are still going to be teams out there that need to fit those positions. So right now, teams are signing those guys early in the process because they don't want to go into the draft needing to fit that specific position or at least want to limit the number of spots that they need to fill in the draft. If you flip the order, all that's happening is they're filling those things first. And in theory, it's not diminishing those number of places necessarily. It's just changing the order in which it happens and potentially shrinking the market. Like that's the impact I think that it would have is – you're reducing demand is lower. From yeah, a you're reducing standpoint. the money that those guys are getting because the the buyer it's becoming yeah. a seller's market, not a buyer. When you're the way around, um, yeah. I mean, you want as the players' association, you want teams in a more desperate state, and the more needs that they have, the more desperate state that they're in, right? So that's why I don't think it ever happens from a yeah. There's more standpoint. right now. There's more demand than supply potentially, but if you do it, if you flip the order, yeah, what you're doing is changing that where there's more supply than yeah. demand from a team building standpoint would teams draft smarter would they just go they should right yeah why yeah, wouldn't they best player available more there is a um there's a discussion in the chat that best player available doesn't truly exist i get it i kind of get that argument i've always been like a take the best player available but with not so much with team needs involved it's with positional value as 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 a factor there so best player available doesn't mean, well, my fullback's the highest graded guy, therefore we take him. Like you just But what it what it does is essentially almost entirely eliminate drafting for need. Yeah. Because right now what happens is you re-sign your own you franchise tag whoever it was that you want didn't want to leave, get let leave the building. You re-sign your own free agents, you then sign whatever available free agents there are, and then you have a roster that's 85, 90% set, but the 10% is what you then need to fix in the draft, right? You have one final opportunity, two, I guess, if you count the sort of the final dregs of free agency after everything's done, but one real final shot to fix the available holes on the depth chart, and you do that in the draft. If the draft is first, there's no, like, there's no hole because you only have like 50% of a roster at that point. So you're not drafting for need because you're like, we need half the team. So this happened in 2011 with the lockout. or the, Was it lockout? Not yeah. a strike, right? I don't remember exactly if draft strategies changed a lot in 2011. That, I don't think you could ever, like, it was such an on-the-fly, like, yeah. random one-off that I'm not sure you could take anything from it. Remember free agency happened, like, two days before training camp. It's late July, and it's like, all right, free agency starting. Yeah. And it just, everybody got signed within two days, and it was madness. It was awesome. Um, but I don't, again, I don't remember. It was also, that was the uncapped year. Yeah. And the whole was thing just a, was, like, a chaotic It was, it was an absolute mess. 
I will say though, I do think that the Players Association has has hurt the middle class a little bit in a lot of their decisions over the last couple of years. And I don't even think that's their fault, by the way. Like, yeah, I'm not saying them specifically. It's just kind of like they had to make concessions somewhere and well, that's not even where that. they made them. But I think they were unintended yes, concessions. That's the thing, right? It's the law of unintended consequences. Like eliminating those absurd rookie contracts was absolutely right. The yeah. idea that a guy would walk in off fresh off the bank of his college career and without taking an NFL snap was like one of the best paid quarterbacks in the league was ridiculous because if he's Jamarcus Russell, you just handed that guy a bag for literally nothing for just for what he's done in college, which is irrelevant to you. So that like cutting that out was absolutely correct. It also, but the theory was that money will then go to all the veteran, you know what I mean? And it, it didn't. So what happened is you cut that away and all of a sudden you just increased the demand and the value for the quarterback on the rookie contract and nobody's giving it to the Andy Daltons of the world, right? That's, that's the unintended consequence. There, there was another one though, which was there was other th- there was a couple things that made college players declare earlier. Remember, there was a point where um, I forget what the record was for early declarations, but it used to be say seventy or whatever, and then all of a sudden it was like one hundred twenty, and you'd get one hundred twenty early declarations every year because players wanted to get in a year early, get on that contract, and it wasn't that they were making more money; they knew that the NFL valued first contract players more and they were getting into the nfl and they were declaring early and a lot of the kids were going undrafted but they were still finding their ways on rosters and that hurt the middle class as well so ultimately i would not move the draft because i just i don't like change in general but, yeah um but I, just, I also don't think it would happen i'd be all for it but i don't think it'll happen i actually think it makes more sense the other way but i you know, i agree with you that i don't think it will ever happen it would be interesting the nfl see. teams i think would like it but yeah. a so every time these every time the CBA comes up, it's a negotiation, right? And even though the like if you offered it to the NFL teams right now, hey, next year I can click my fingers, magic wand, whatever, we'll reverse free agency in the draft. They'd be like, hell yeah, do it. Awesome. If you said, okay, there's a negotiation coming up, here are the 58 things we're trying to argue for. Where does this rank in your priority list? Yeah. It's like 58 out of 58. Right. They're like, I'll take it if you're offering it. But I'm not giving up anything of substance for I, it. I also, just to finish this thought though, on the on the Players Association, a lot of the things that they've been fighting for have been less practices, fewer practices. Um, it's been more like head drama, a head trauma related, mm-hmm. which is fine, like less contact and all that stuff. That's what they've been fighting for. Not so much the financial piece as much. And I think that's why you see some of this. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, I just think it's such a difficult balancing act to a, to see the consequences of what it is you're looking to change. Right? So that like so much of the, the things is it's an adversarial negotiation. And in order to get something, you need to concede something else. But then in order to change one thing that's glaringly wrong, you're in a weird sort of, it's such a weird dynamic of this captive environment where it's its own ecosystem. If you change any one thing, you screw something else up, right? It's it's like, you know, when you you find this unique ecosystem somewhere in the world and you accidentally introduce like a rat to it, right? And immediately the entire thing crumbles because there's no place in this ecosystem for a rat and you just introduce this invasive species, 6 months later the entire thing is crumbling around you and it's it's a plague pit, right? Every time you tinker with anything with the CBA, the salary cap, whatever it is, Anytime you change anything, 
you upset right. the entire balance and screw, screw the whole thing up. They just have to be smart enough to know the unintended consequences are also predictable too. Some it's of them, some of them aren't, I don't I think. I don't, a lot, you just, you just have to think, it's a problem in life in general. Some people don't think three steps ahead. They sure. don't think what the next thing is right in front of their face. But I think a lot of these things, I don't know that there's a way of fixing them without screwing something else up. And like, I think absolutely getting rid of those rookie contracts was something that needed to happen because it was insane. Yeah. I think that had a completely unintended consequence and I'm not sure it was reasonable to expect them to see coming. Or even if it is, it's still something you probably should have done. You would have because you love to get into the head of the billionaire. Well, and when you true. get into the head of the billionaire, he'll say, where can I save money now? I will get more rookies rather than less rookies, fewer rookies, and I will push the veterans out. Anyway, what else do we have here email-wise? Uh, so this one is from uh, Matt Anderson. Lifelong Rams fan, Los Angeles, St. Louis, and then Los Angeles again. But from Sioux City, Iowa, which is okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, my question concerns the contention that a team has not won the Super Bowl over the last decade plus when spending more than 13% or so of the salary cap on a quarterback position. What about the 2021 Rams? Uh, it's true that they only paid Matthew Stafford $20 million, but they also paid Jared Goff $24.7 million to pay, play for the Detroit Lions. Uh, I'm terrible at math, but I calculate that $44.7 million as 24.5% of last year's $182.5 million salary cap. Is there anything to be learned from this other than the Rams got incredibly lucky? I wanted to bring this up because every time this theory, concept, way of phrasing things comes up, it drives me insane. The idea of no team that has ever done X has won a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. How many are we at now? 56 Super Bowls? There's been 56 Super Bowl winners. Okay. So there have been 56 Super Bowls, period. Not even 30 in the salary cap era. Right. Which is already a very small number slash sample size. As yep. you said, you then immediately shrink the number to 30 since the salary cap started and since like stuff hasn't been changing. You can shrink the number even further when you start talking about, well, what's the latest CBA, the world of like the non-rookie quarterback contracts, et cetera, et cetera. So every time you like try and get a comparable sample size to like the current landscape, the number gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then that's before you start looking at, well, if you go back and watch a game from like 2006, it's like a different world. And yeah. I, I mean, we said this when we were grading it, but I've seen people like, just throw on a game in NFL Network. And I'm like, have you seen this crap? This I-formation, two-wide receiver, straight drop-back play action. Like, <laughs> what is this? It's like watching a game from the 1950s. It's a different world. So immediately you're looking at it you're saying, you can't go back more than 10. If you go back more than 10 years, you're talking about a completely different ecosystem and landscape. It's not applicable anymore. So now you're saying, right, your sample size is 10. I, <laughs> then I don't care what the I don't I, immediately I, I no longer care what the question is three or four of which are just Tom Brady right if my sample <laughs> size is 10 you can't possibly tell me there's anything relevant to be gleaned from the thing you're trying to say no team has ever won one of these 10 Super Bowls doing X yeah but the, it's 10 things anything could happen you could flip a coin 10 times and have it come up heads every time it doesn't mean anything Yes. So my point being, it's literally meaningless. Yep. The end. Yeah. And that's not just specific to this one, right? The 13% quarterback thing. It's just the way people do it's analysis. It's specific and, to everything right. that says a team has never won the Super Bowl doing whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to teams where they study the Final Four. 
Like how did the final four teams get right. constructed? Which obviously immediately increases your sample size by, you know, 200%. Yes. Or just playoff teams, right? Now you know, we've got an extra, we have 14 playoff teams now instead of 12. Great. Um, you could do it by 10 win teams. You could I mean, just look at successful teams. But I think that's an important part when people throw the analytics term out there and you can quantify anything and, and come up with uh, no team that's ever done this with the salary caps ever won the Super Bowl, like you're saying. But the the analysis is irrelevant if you're not if you're not using the right North Star for it. Like if the if the wrong KPI is used, right? What does KPI mean? Key performance indicator. Okay. Now that we're all in business world here. So it is it is important. I mean, it's a lot of like what we're talking like when I'm doing a lot of our draft analysis right now, I'm trying to point to war. What's good, what, are, what are the best things that you could see in college players that's going to project to them adding more war to your team at the NFL level? And I'm only doing that because we have analysis that says the more war you have on your team, the more wins you're going to have over time, right? A lot of NFL teams, you know, look at what, what do starters look like? Like, do you actually want to project just starters? Why would you want to just project starters? Would you want to project good players? And how do you define good players? You need something to define what you're trying to achieve and then work backwards and look at the characteristics that lead to what you're trying to achieve. And if and, and just, to your point, you just don't have enough of a sample to say, well, the Rams did it this way. Yeah, of course they got lucky in the sense that you're, you're only looking at one season. And if you replay the season a thousand times, they're not going to win it every single time. So they didn't have a perfect slam dunk strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I have no background in math, um, statistics, any of this stuff, but I know that a sample size of 10 is essentially meaningless in anything, right? It's just not a valid sample size of anything. It's not statistically significant. A sample size of 10 is meaningless. So anytime you're looking at one of these things and saying, well, this is, you know, what do you need to do to win a Super Bowl? You simply can't tell that from that scenario. From looking only at the teams that have won a Super Bowl, you cannot tell what you need to do in order to win a Super Bowl. You simply can't. So it's not, you know, this is not hating Matt here. It's simply... But the, here's the other false thing with analysis, right? Is you, you even if you go back through all the Super Bowls and it's like, well, how many Super Bowls had elite quarterbacks? And it's like half. Only half the Super Bowl winners had elite quarterbacks or whatever. But it's... But it's like, yeah, you're pulling from a, f a pool of four quarterbacks right. that are elite or a pool of hundreds of quarterbacks who are not, right? And this, hap this happens in recruiting all the time. Recruiting people, the people who follow recruiting for a living, get very angry every year around the Super Bowl. Very angry. Because in the Super Bowl, you hear this all the time. The St. Louis, uh, the Los Angeles Rams are constructed of, you know, uh, they only have four five-star prospects on their entire roster or something. And it's like, oh, see, recruiting analysts are idiots. It's like, yeah, there's 30 five-star recruits every single year, right? And most of them make it. So it's a high it's, it's percentages, right? The denominator is different. So the denominator for elite quarterbacks is different. So it changes the fact that elite quarterbacks don't win a Super Bowl half the time. When the reality is actually they do win it about half the time. And having one is a big advantage. So and, anyway. And as you said, like Tom Brady individually screws up any, you know, statistical sample from Super Bowls you could possibly be doing, period. Um, I forget what it was. Eric tweeted out some, you know, graph the other day that was like, 
quarterbacks, you know, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in the whatever era. And it was just a pie chart with three things. And it was like contra- or quarter- elite quarterbacks on a rookie deal, elite quarterbacks on a non-rookie deal. And then Tom Brady. And Tom Brady. <laughs> and Tom Brady is like 40% of the thing, right? Yeah. Like you can't, you can't, you, there's no takeaway from any of that. That's, that's simply the reality. So, and, and here's the thing. All of that analysis is going to change because I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Tom Brady's probably not going to win three or four Super Bowls in the next 10 years. So over the next 10 years, wow. you're probably going to have different Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and different style teams, and they're going to the analysis will change every single year. We need to clip that out and send it to Tom Brady. He'll hang around for another oh, decade. That'd just be to awesome. Prove you're wrong. That'd be great. Um, yeah, oh, here you go. Look, here, uh, pie chart, rookie deal quarterbacks, 10 out of 22. Other, 6 out of 22. Tom Brady, 6 out of 22. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the reality of this. So it's you simply cannot get anything from this. So to answer the guy's question specifically – I think, yeah, the Rams are an outlier in several different ways. That uh, That is being one of them, that they had a ton of money tied up in the quarterback position, albeit only one of which was actually going to the quarterback they had playing for them. But my point would simply be that either way, it's meaningless. Yeah. Nailed it. Sweet. Thanks, Matt Anderson. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry to shit on your question. Are we doing this wide receiver one? Yeah, if you want to hit it. With the, with it takes the, a lot of counting. Wait, the Mahomes thing, no? Yeah, we go to the Mahomes one. No, no, don't do that's for that's for the wide receiver show. Oh, okay, that's for tomorrow. Yeah, that's why there's. We're no, gonna do receiver breakdowns tomorrow. Can't that's wait. why there's no link in it. If you could get with the document, that would be handy. What? I'm just scrolling down. No, the whole thing is set up, so you don't need to do that. There's links in the there's, top. There's no way the you know how is. to do that in a Google Doc. I did it several weeks ago, in fact, and yet wow. you haven't managed to get with the program. So we're on to the Mahomes question. Yes. Uh, who's this from? I don't know. You put it in there. Nick. Say his last name. What? Gotchel. Goshel. I mean, you be you. Go with it. <clears throat> Whatever you think. Nick G, like I said. <laughs> Hi, Sam and Steve. A couple of questions of varying urgency from England. We're just going to answer the first one. The first query concerns Patrick Mahomes. Forgive the length. Okay, I'll try to uh, skim. After his first couple seasons, he was already being hailed as the GOAT. Greatest of all time. The hype was, as I like to say, ridiculous. Now the guy's undoubtedly special, but things seem to have changed slightly. When the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl, Mahomes was not great. Yes, he won MVP, but by his own standards, poor game. Agreed. Following Super Bowl, Chiefs get destroyed by the Bucs. He was poor again. And then last season, Chiefs offense was unrecognizable. And Mahomes can't really be excused for being at least partly to blame. Then you have the second half of the AFC Championship. He was horrifically bad. Uh, avoidable sacks, ugly interceptions, the whole thing. Suddenly the hype seems to have faded. His aura is gone. Mahomes' goat discussion has gone very quiet. So his question is, is Patrick Mahomes still special? And a follow-up, especially with Tyree Kill heading to Miami, where does he currently rank in your top NFL quarterbacks? Do you want to handle this first? Uh, I mean, I think he is still special. Um, Anytime you're talking about a guy being the greatest of all time after like two seasons, you're already... You're already in a strange place, you know? It's not that you're immediately wrong. It's just that obviously it's contingent on a guy continuing at a certain level. Yep. Right? Like, I don't agree with the notion that you can never make that declaration or statement or bring up that topic because from very, very early on, it was clear that Aaron Donald or J.J. Watt were all-time great players. So my question has always been, well, how long are you supposed to wait before you can bring up the idea that they're one of the best to ever do it. Like how long is long enough? Because, 
you know, guys like Gail Sayers are in the Hall of Fame based off a pretty short career. Terrell Davis didn't last for very long. Um, Kurt Warner had a pretty short window of when he was insane, but these guys were in the Hall of Fame. Now, at some point, you have to be able to just look at it and say, okay, how much more do we need in terms of evidence before we say that Aaron Donald is the best, you know, one of the best players to ever do it? And I would argue you can do that pretty early on in the process. So I have no problem with people bringing up the idea that, hey, Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks ever. But obviously, when you're like, will he go down as the greatest of all time? It's immediately contingent on the idea that we get another decade of this. Right. Because if he does it for three years and then hangs him up, well, then no. Tom Brady did it for 28 years, you know, and, and he, so it's not the same. So the fact that we saw it early, I think, was enough evidence to say, yes, Mahomes belongs at that kind of level. Now the question is, can he maintain that? And that's where the questions start to come in because we have seen him start to falter. We have also, for the first time now, traded away one of his supporting pillars that lets him play at that kind of level. So this year, I don't. it's not make or break or anything. Like Mahomes is still fantastic. But this year, for the first time, there's some real obstacles in his way to prove that he can still play at that level. Yeah, I think all that's fair. I mean, I, look, is Mahomes still special? Yes, I'll answer that part of the question. Where would he rank? I would still take him number one as far as starting a franchise. You would take, okay. So that's above the likes of Josh Allen. I would take him over Josh Allen. And Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Burrow, Herbert. I would take Mahomes over those guys. I will say, so one element of, I mean, this is another thing, right? What What is greatness? You know? That's what I want. I wanted to answer that part of the question. You have an answer? Yes. Okay. So I, I think, I think we, I think the expectations are so high. So I think Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time. <laughs> Believe Bold. It. Believe it or not. Bold. Okay. Take, right? Now you can go, there are people that still criticize Tom Brady. Oh, he's been lucky. He's had this. He's had, what about this game, right? You can go through Tom Brady's career and see plenty of failures. He's had terrible games. He's had terrible games in the playoffs. He's had game ending sacks in the Super Bowl with the game on the line, right? So if you are against Tom Brady being the, the, the GOAT, you could, you could build a sweet case. You could make a 20 tweet thread on why Tom Brady's not the GOAT. Now, my question is, who replaces him, mm -hmm. right? Who doesn't have that? So Mahomes is going to go down as one of the best of all time. He's going to have 10 more years of elite play, maybe more, whatever it is. Let's say that's going to happen. Along the way, there's going to be more AFC championship collapses. There's going to be a one and done in there where the Chiefs look horrible. There's going to be a couple Super Bowls. I mean, where are your expectations for this thing? I think we're just in this world where we have to make uh, – this guy's the GOAT. And then as soon as he fails, it's like, no, he's not. He's terrible. It, like – just let it let it happen here. So Brady's had a lot of failures along the way, but he's just had far more successes, regular season, postseason, every last part of it. So there's no quarterback that is more accomplished than Tom Brady that can replace him. Not Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana, John Elway, no matter who you want. And you can go through each of those quarterbacks' careers and find failures. And that's just where we are with Mahomes. He just started his career with an MVP, uh, they scored 30-plus points in a playoff loss that year. Then they won the Super Bowl, and he set this standard for, oh, they're going to win nine Super Bowls, right? right? And once you, and, and then when you like lose in the Super Bowl and don't play great, and you lose in the AFC Championship and don't play great, it's like, what happened? Just football happened. People catch up to you. They're ebbs and flows. Mahomes is still great. I think he's still the best quarterback in the NFL, uh, age-adjusted. 
since 2018, when he entered the league, he's the second most valuable quarterback in the NFL behind the GOAT, Tom Brady, who's doing it in his 40s. Great. Um, so Mahomes is fine. Um, I will say the difference between Mahomes and, say, Brady and all that stuff, like Brady started his career winning Super Bowls as part of a team and didn't have great weapons, and then he got great weapons later. We haven't seen Mahomes without Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey for an extended period of time. And in, that's still a question. Can he put up yeah. incredible numbers like he has without that pristine supporting cast? And I, I think we'll learn more about that this year. I think he's great. He'll be fine. But will he be the same level of great statistically? I don't know. I think it's very difficult because, again, like this is this is part of the problem with the Hall of Fame, right? There, are, there is no set defined criteria for what the Hall of Fame is. So you get these arguments between people that are effectively arguing completely different things. Like, does this guy belong in the Hall of Fame? Yes or no? That's a binary response. But like, if your standards are different, you're going to have completely different answers. So I always find it very difficult to evaluate how much weight should belong in longevity, right? And that yeah. it depends by position. It also depends on the level you've been playing for any extended length of time. But like, when you start looking at the players that we're talking about as the GOATs, at various positions. Really what separates Jerry Rice and Tom Brady now is is going to be the length of time they did it. Like there's a there's a however long the period is. There's a period where Peyton Manning is better than Tom Brady. There's a period where Joe Montana is as good, maybe better than Tom of Brady. Of course, absolutely. Jerry Rice, same thing, right? There's a 6-7 year period where Randy Moss is Jerry Rice. But then Gary Rice did it again for another Randy Moss career. You know what I mean? Like he just kept going. And the thing that separates Jerry Rice from like every other receiver ever is that the dude played and was still crushing it, was still getting like a thousand yards at the age of 40. It's absurd. But my point has always been like, how do you weigh that? And with it, this comes up more with coaches and managers in different sports. But one of the things I think that's really interesting or important for legacy is it's not it's it's quite common to sort of assemble a championship caliber team, right? To build it from scratch, to come in, build this thing up, win champions, win a championship, and maybe win multiple championships. But then inevitably, players get old. It starts to disintegrate in, in sports like NFL. There's a salary cap and the turnover for your roster is very high. And what I think starts to really define greatness from a coach or a manager or a GM is... Can you show the ability to build a championship team, dismantle it, or turn it over and build another one or maintain a championship level with a completely new set of players? So this happens in soccer a lot. As you see these guys, they come in, they have like a three, four, five year run of success, and then those players all get old, they leave, they get sold, they get dismantled, and then they can never do it again, and they never come back. And what made a guy called Alex Ferguson, a Manchester United manager for years, what made his legacy so amazing is he kept doing it and they kept and every time he would sell off one of these players he'd be like what is this idiot doing yeah. selling away their best player they'll never like ah. and then he replenished them now he got a lot of help with a really good young class of players but this is like a bill belichick thing right yep the fact that that guy's been able to do it again and again and again and keep retooling and keep rebuilding and coming back is really important and i think there is an element of that, particularly in the NFL and when we're talking about quarterbacks, where the same thing is true. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you can do what Kurt Warner did and steer the ship of the greatest show on turf for a few years. And then when that rebuilds, can you come back? 
And Warner did. It came back with the Arizona right. Cardinals, right? I think, and I think that, great point. Yeah. honestly, that's the difference in my eyes between Kurt Warner being a Hall of Famer and not, is yeah. the fact that he came back again and took Arizona to a Super Bowl with a completely different team, While completely different like roster. five-ish type of quarterback. Yeah, and playing slightly differently as well. Sure. The fact that he did that, I think, is the difference between him having a Hall of Fame case and not. If he just had the, the greatest show on turf years, it's like really impressive. I don't know if it's enough to get you in the Hall. And for Tom Brady... He's got the same argument as Belichick. He's been able to retool and do it again and again and again with varying varying offenses, different systems, different yep. not their, you know different stylists styles of the same system. I guess is the way of phrasing that. So with Mahomes, what we're about to see is his first attempt at doing that because we've had the first run, which is like three years of insane success right out of the box. Now you've taken one of the building blocks of that, shipped them off to Miami. So now we're going to see the first uh, the first shot of Mahomes doing it again with a slightly different dynamic around him. Yeah, it's a great point, man. That's it. It really is because it, it's impossible to keep the band together. Of course, in football completely. It just, it just can't happen, and and that is one of the things. You know, Montana winning Super Bowls like seven or eight years apart too, right? That happened. Uh, Brady doing it at various points. All good points. Different style teams and all. And look, we always talk about the QBs, the biggest driver. So yeah. that's why I would. I would say yes, I'm I'm confident in Mahomes that he's still the biggest driver of the Chiefs' success. But at the same even though even the Warner example, Warner had Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce and more. He had Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden and the, the card like he always had that those are the things that take the elite quarterback and do make life a little bit easier, either having an elite defense or having elite playmakers or whatever. So that's why you as the Chiefs, you always want to do your do the best by Mahomes to put that good team around him. So yeah, Mahomes still special. Change your expectations in this, you know, who the best of all time debate is, the GOAT, because GOATs are going to fail. Even Michael Jordan missed some shots. And we all know he's better than I LeBron. Mean, not only missed some shots, but, you know, what didn't he have? He hasn't got the most missed shots of all time or something. Isn't that a Michael Jordan stat? Uh, we'll get the fact checkers on that. It's like know. Brett Favre. As a Zennial, I'm, I'm obligated to say Jordan's better than LeBron. Sure. I, I'm not arguing that. But it's like Brett Favre, right? Like all-time leader in interceptions or whatever because, you know, he hung yeah. around for a long time. Of course yeah. he was. Uh, I will say, though, so last season, Patrick Mahomes, PFF grade, 80.4, ranked 11th in the NFL. Again, the first time we're about to see Mahomes, you know, do this with a slightly different supporting cast and with a slightly diminished supporting cast, I think. If Mahomes has another year where he's good, not great, I think that does change the discussion. Like if he comes, so yes, if, if he, he has another year where he grades yeah. at like 80, you know, is reasonable, but his turnover-worthy play rate is high, his big-time throw rate is still very low relative to where we saw it earlier in his career, and in particular, we still see incredible seasons out of like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen maybe. I think that does change the, the, the Mahomes conversation next year. For sure. If, if, if Allen is elite again and Herbert is elite and Burrow's elite and Mahomes is QB 10, QB 11, I might take some of those other guys ahead of him at this point. And I, again, I, I want to preface this by saying Mahomes is awesome. Yes. I always feel like I have to start that. But there is the question like what he started with. He's starting from a, a – he's coming from a starting point that had Alex Smith leading the league in passer rating and in deep passing yards. I think, and Andy Reid, who has a history of this stuff, making quarterbacks look good. That is a significant 
thing. He still has Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we get to see him in a in a different environment. And this, by the way, the you, the judging of that is going to have to be tricky, right? Because he was like QB eleven in terms of PFF grade, but he ranked fourth in terms of passing yards. He ranked fourth in terms of touchdowns. He only had thirteen I think interceptions. EPA, he was first or he was second or third or he was up there. Yeah, wasn't he? I'm just saying you might have to look beyond some simple yeah. numbers in order to sort of see that the truth of that. Like he had 37 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. But he had 23 big-time throws to 22 turnover-worthy plays. So, you know what I mean? Like, he might end up with a season because of Andy Reid and the th- other things around him that still looks amazing statistically. Yeah. But if, it, again, if, again, if it was visibly not where it was a couple of years ago, then I think and, the discussion is And different. all I'll say there is if you're trying to pull Mahomes down because of that, who are you putting above him, right? Like Aaron Rodgers has had years where he's graded like that. Tom Brady has had years where he's graded like that. Drew, Like everybody's had years – where they graded like that in our system. So it's just it's just part of the ebbs and flows. And it's just that you can't be a 90-plus graded quarterback every single year. It's just a tough thing to do. And that's, and that's the bottom line. Expectations, you know? Anyway, I thought that was an interesting question. And you're right. If it happens again, it'll be even more interesting. The way the league evolves here. You missed a real opportunity there to be, uh, that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold says so. I was kind of wanted to do that, but yeah. I was just, just uh, chicken out. I was sad. Failed on it. At his stunner attempt. <laughs> that I told It was you. really Vince's fault. I mean, Vince is just looking old, man. Yeah. Pat I mean, McAfee, well, spry. Differently, Vince is old. I mean, that dude's 70-something, right? He's jacked, but it just things were I, slow. I've said this before. I, You and I were both you know, wrestling fans when we were kids. I think yeah. most people are. Most boys, certainly of our age, went yeah. through that period of you know, 90s wrestling or whatever. I... For me, it sort of ended though when 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 the number of my age ceased to begin with a one, you know, when it was no longer 10, 11, 12, whatever, <laughs> when it was like now you're 20 something, now you're 30, whatever. That I it, it's too ridiculous the older you get. I can't I can't still look at it and be like, yeah. So that stunner contrasted with like a real one, you know, feels like watching it when I'm 12 versus watching it when I'm this age, you know. Now you sort of look at it and everything looks like the sad, stone-cold, Vince McMahon botched stunner attempt that we saw yeah. the other day. I wanted to put the meme up there that that stunner is me trying to find a metaphor yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, that's true. It's like just reaching for it, reaching for it. Not quite there. Bouncing off the ropes and are we still going to finish it? I don't, oh, we, got, we finished it. But it was really ugly. Yeah. Wasn't good. No, it it be, counted. Add it to the tally. Ironically, that would have been your best metaphor. Would have been my best. Yeah, you didn't do it. I'm gonna. I can still take to uh, social media. It's too late now. And tweet that out. There's a statute of limitations on metaphors. There's not. All right. Well, it's our Wednesday show. It's awesome. Tomorrow, all things uh, wide receivers. Yeah, wide receiver rankings. All right. We'll do wide receiver rankings on tomorrow's show. Don't forget, 25% off using the promo code NFL Pod. We're giving you 25% off any PFF subscription at PFF.com. I'll also give away a free PFF Elite uh, Edge tomorrow. Not Elite Edge tomorrow. To one of the people, we're getting a lot of the screenshots, hey, uh, reminding us, hey, we're subscribed to the Daily and the PFF NFL podcast. Keep those coming, and I'll pick a, uh, a lucky winner. It might be the guy that's promised like 50 new uh, downloads. Only if we reference this question. Can you quickly reference this question so we can sign up 50 or 27 yeah, people? Yeah, we'll check that out was. tomorrow. We'll check out are you going to have wide receiver rankings tomorrow, or are you going to push this all on me again? Or do I have to? It's just the discussion point. I have to put them in order, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fine. I'll have, I'll, well, how many do we need ranked? <laughs> I don't know. As many as you can get through. I've been grinding the receiver tape here. 
So I'll be back. I ground, uh, ground, ground the running back film. Perfect. The other night. We need to do a running back show. Great. Can't wait. You want to do a running back show? You don't. We'll just do five. You just watch five plays per running back and bring the takes to the table. That's all we need. I already gave my, my, the only thing you need to know about this running back group is uh, James Cook is probably the best. Um, my reasoning is that James Cook is essentially 80% of Dalvin Cook in every possible capacity. Size, speed, athleticism, just ability, like generally. 80% of Dalvin Cook is probably the best running back in any given class. Therefore, True. without even looking at anybody else for any extended period of time, James Cook will be running back one. That's pretty good. Good take. I think 80% might even be rich that he's 80% of Dalvin Nah, he's 80. I mean, it's 460. 70. Come on. 60, 70? Yeah. No. Yeah. He's a, uh, I'm not going to mention that he's on my dynasty team. So I'm rooting Good. for James Cook, yeah. but he's not fully Dalvin. No, he's 80%. Four fifths. That's nah, a little much. We'll, we'll, do, we'll save it for the running back show. Maybe we'll do a running back daily or something like that. 10 minutes is, might, be, might be enough on running backs. Okay. All right. That's it for us today. We'll see you tomorrow. Wide receiver rankings. Thanks to everybody for tuning in.